Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. He is the founder and head wealth coach at Future Your Wealth. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Give us a little bit of your background and how you've led to where you are today and having written this book. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a practicing financial advisor now going on 16 years. Uh, The bulk of my time, I've worked at some of the largest firms in the industry. I started my career at a large investment firm called Alliance Bernstein. I ended up making my way over to the private wealth group at Goldman Sachs. Uh, And then most recently, before I started my own firm, I was at a large investment management firm um, called Capital Group. Uh, they're well known for their American funds, but I was in their high net worth division. So I'd say the, the typical client that I worked with throughout the bulk of my career would be considered high net worth or, or ultra high net worth. And we can define that with it's called $5 million in investable assets and above. And it was a, a couple of years ago, I was doing some volunteer work where I teach financial literacy in the Bronx. And just through my volunteer work, I had an opportunity to write an article in Business Insider. And I I took him up on the opportunity and I contributed the article. The article was about, it was for the person who's struggling to build wealth. And what steps would someone who works with high net worth individuals, what, what advice do I have for them? I wrote the article, I sent it along to the editor and just went on my very way. And this article ended up going viral. And I mean, I was amazed with how many views it got, but more importantly, I was amazed with the feedback I was getting. And just the outpouring of, of support and just the number of people that said, you know, I really wish I would have read this uh, when I was in my 20s. I had one person reach out to me and say that uh, he's, he's a, a grandfather, he's got four grandsons, and the next time they're going to get together, this was mandatory reading. And I just had more and more people wanting to reach out to me, but they didn't reach my minimums. Um, I also just fell in love with writing articles, contributing posts, and I just couldn't do it working at a large organization. So fast forward to today, I ended up leaving the the large investment management firm, and today I run my own independent wealth advisory practice. The name of my firm is called Future U Wealth. That's Y-O-U, Future U Wealth, all spelled out. Um, And today in my practice, I still work with some of my high net worth clients who have followed me over the years, Um, but, but I've really opened up my practice to work with really the masses. You know, I would say that the typical client that I have today, new client, you know, probably has somewhere between 100,000 to, you know, up to a million dollars. And there is someone who's in the wealth building phase of their career. Um, And that's really the type of person that I'm looking to to work with. Um, And then where the book came into it was, again, just from that article, I really fell in love with uh, writing posts, writing articles. And ultimately, I just started doing a little bit more writing. And uh, one word led to another. And uh, now I have a a whole book. So you're making other people rich. It was released last week. And uh, I'm uh, I was super excited to launch it to the world. Excellent. So this is a particularly timely time to come out with something like this because the spread between the wealthy and the ultra wealthy and the rest of the population is wider than ever, particularly in light of what the coronavirus has done to the economy, where wealthy people have done even better and escaped the cities. And a lot of people have been left behind in the cities, getting sick, getting poor. So just kind of we're going to get into the details of the book, but put it in the current environment relating to the coronavirus and how this is kind of 
exacerbated uh, the wealth gap. You are 100% spot on. I mean, this is really something, though, that stems from the financial crisis and the, the recovery coming out of the financial crisis. And I mean, if, if you just if you if you look at the recovery coming from 2008, 2009, you know, it was largely speaking an asset based recovery. So when you look at, you know, who's done better since 2009, it was the people who held assets uh, coming out of the financial crisis um, and were able to uh, be the beneficiaries of the 10, 11 year bull market run that we had. And, you know, those are asset holders and stocks, real estate, et cetera. And if you weren't someone who held assets or if you're someone who, you know, lost your primary asset in 2008, 2009, um, you, you fared much worse. So when you think about this, you know, this large and growing wealth gap that we've had, again, really stems from the financial crisis and it stems from people who have assets being the primary beneficiary and the coronavirus has just exacerbated that gap even more. And that if you look at it, the average day person, um, I mean, you look at the data, the average person, or what was it, uh, 40% of the people who are making under $40,000 uh, are unemployed right now. Right. But we have a stock market that has continued to go up. So for me, in a big part of my book, and I know we're going to get into it, but but this is a big part of the work that I've done, both in my volunteer work, as well now in my practice, is to say, um, you don't need a lot of money to be an asset holder today. I mean, you can get into the stock market for just a couple hundred dollars, you can own an S&P 500 index fund. So I've been telling people for years, you know, instead of complaining about this growing wealth gap and the fact that it's rewarded asset holders, become an asset holder, buy, buy yep. an S&P 500 index fund. So ultimately, I think that's really the, the, the main culprit of this large and growing wealth gap is that it's, again, these have been recoveries that have been asset-based and the average person who doesn't hold assets just missing out. Can you explain briefly why the stock market has done so well when the economy has taken such an enormous hit and the second quarter dropped at a 31% annual rate and it's still very weak, we don't have a new stimulus plan. Why is it the stock market has done so well during this economic recession, if not depression in many areas? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, first off, the stock market moves in advance of what it thinks is going to happen. So it is a forward looking mechanism. So if, if you're a stockholder today, um, you're more or less saying, OK, this has been a huge disruption. But, you know, let's let's look past 2020 and now look at 2021. And let's say, assuming we get a vaccine and things get back to normal. Well, there's going to be a major tailwind then for the economy. So that's number one is that this, the stockholders are large looking past this disruption that we've had and saying, look, things are going to be better at somewhere in the relatively near future. I don't know if that's true, but but that's, that's one of the points. Uh, number two is we've had this incredible fiscal stimulus coming from the CARES Act back in the, the start of this crisis um, that was hugely supportive to the economy. Um, the CARES Act did a great job getting checks in people's hands, uh, helping to keep businesses uh, in business. Uh, and again, I would say it was largely successful. Now, it's largely assumed that we're going to get a second stimulus um, that is to be determined, and I think a lot of the volatility that we've seen as of late, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it, people attribute to the election. I suspect it's more attributed to just some concern over Congress getting their act together and passing a next wave of stimulus. Um, and then I think the third thing that's keeping the stock market afloat, and this is the main one, is that the Federal Reserve has 
taken aggressive action in keeping interest rates at historic lows. Um, I mean, they even went as far to say that we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. So if you think about just the, the fact that the Federal Reserve is flooding the market with liquidity, that they're keeping rates low. You know, if you're a stock market investor right now, you know, you, you have a choice. You can say, okay, I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about volatility. Um, okay, so I'm going to sell my stocks. Okay, if you sell your stocks, where do you go? Yeah. You get close to 0% in cash. You're not getting anything. And I mean, you're getting a half a percent in a 10-year treasury. And um Ultimately, there's the acronym TINA. There is no alternative. The only yeah. place you can go is the stock market. Yeah. I mean, some would say that's a, an asset bubble. And this is kind of that's what right. happened last time, that the Fed brought rates down to zero after the crash of 2009, and it created this huge asset bubble, not only in stocks, but in real estate. And we're saying that to some extent right. now, in the suburbs, you're seeing real estate prices soaring and multiple bids and offered. Are you concerned that all this Fed money is creating a bubble? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I, I mean, I think the the thing that I'm most concerned with is that, you know, I, I think the, the Fed is at risk of, of falling into what's called a liquidity trap and that you can only do so much in terms of stimulating the economy. And ultimately, if the economy needs uh, additional injection, um, the Fed gets to a point where, where again, they, they run out of firepower. And I mean, then if we get a point where we get this asset price inflation and we ultimately get into a situation where the Fed has to reverse course and increase interest rates, um, that could be majorly disruptive for markets. Um, but if you look at where we are right now, again, if you have a 10-year holding period uh, you know, and, and you're looking at where do I put money? Um, you know, the stock market, even if you don't love it right now, you can get what, roughly a 2% dividend. And if you have a 10 year holding period, you know, even if we do have volatility and markets are flat uh, for over the 10 year period, uh, you're still going to be better off just clipping the 2% uh, dividend coupon. So it's one of those, well, I, I, I am concerned. At the same time, I do think if the Federal Reserve can keep interest rates low, and there's reason to believe that they can because inflation has been so low. If anything, we're at more risk of deflation. And again, if the Federal Reserve can keep interest rates low, I think that's going to be supportive to risk asset prices, including stocks and real estate. Yeah, so it's a it's a bubble, but it's a bubble that's not about to burst, is what you're saying. That's more or less what I'm saying. Um, now, now, look, it's one of those where anything can happen at any given point in time. I mean, bear markets seem to find us out of nowhere. Uh, no one was predict predicting that a global pandemic was going to knock the market off uh, in, in 2020. Um, but that being said, I think if you have a 10-plus year holding period, um, I, again, I don't love stocks right now, but I love stocks more than I love anything else. Are you concerned about uncertainty with the election and say that after the election there is not a clear candidate who wins after election night and it goes on for weeks or months with legal battles, what would that do to the stock market? I mean, I think you'd get volatility. I mean, the market doesn't like uncertainty. Granted, we always live in a period of uncertainty. Um, that said, when I look at companies, when I look at stocks, I, I don't think companies really care who the president is. I mean, you look at Apple. Apple started under Carter, continued to do well under Reagan. It then started to have a decline under Bush and Clinton, had a resurgence over uh, under Bush, uh, George W. Bush, uh, continued to do well over Obama, and now it's a $2 trillion company over Trump. I don't think most stocks really or companies really care who the president is. Good companies innovation is going to happen no matter what. 
Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. Uh, he's the author of a new book called You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. You can find out more about it and him at ryansterling.com. We'll be back after this. If you're a business owner, chances are you're reevaluating the way you do business now amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Establishing an online presence is not optional, it's mandatory if you're going to survive. Pivoting quickly is hard enough, but finding the people to make it happen can seem like a full-time job. Fiverr's freelancing platform helps you find the right talent to build your online presence fast. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming and frustrating, not to mention expensive. There are so many factors, such as how much it will cost, and can you be sure they'll deliver? Fiverr lets you hire freelancers with proven track records and clear pricing so you're never in the dark. Whether it's building your first website or designing social graphics to celebrate years in business, Fiverr connects you with the talent you need to keep moving forward. I've used Fiverr several times, and the people I picked always came through at very reasonable prices. Just recently, I found a website designer in Pakistan who helped me put together a website from scratch that's going to accomplish exactly what I need. I found a photographer in New York who is very professional and took a bunch of pictures of me that I'm now using on my website. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. That includes graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, voiceovers, and music. Find what you're looking for instantly since you can search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. You know exactly what you're paying up front, no hourly rates or negotiating. Payment is released to the freelancer once you approve the work. Fiverr offers 24-7 customer service if you need help. They offer quality talent you can count on since sellers have worked for some of the most influential brands in the world, including Google, Netflix, and PayPal. Review seller ratings and buyer feedback to select the right freelancer based on your budget. Find your talent today at Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code ANSWERS. It's so easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use code ANSWERS. Again, that's F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. 
It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. He is the uh, coach at Future Your Wealth, and he's the author of a new book called You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. You can find out more about him and his book at ryansterling.com. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. Yeah, thanks so much. So one of the important concepts you use is you have to use mindfulness and intention to restore your relationship with wealth. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so for, so I mentioned before, I've been in the business for a long time, for 16 years or so. And it was a, a couple of years ago, it was one of those things where I was making more money than I ever had before. You know, I, I, I was making what I considered to be my I made it number, where years prior I decided when I hit this number, that's going to be when you made it. And when I realized I hit this number, um, I, number one, I wasn't terribly happy. And number two, I wasn't as far as I wanted to be financially. And when I was kind of digging into, like, why is this the case? Um, my wife and I, we just had a major consumption problem. We just couldn't stop the urge to consume. And I really wanted to find answers. Again, this is the, the irony of this is, uh, you know, again, I was working with high net worth individuals. I was really good at my job. But personally, I was having a difficult time saving money. And it was really funny. One day I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's in the startup world, and he was uh, looking to raise money from uh, some venture capital firms. He was having a difficult time. And one day he was venting to me, and he said, Ryan, it's like, ah, you know, this venture capital firm, they're killing me. They keep telling me I need to reduce the friction points between the customer and the sale. And that's when it hit me. The reason it's so hard for us to fight back against the urge to consume is friction, or more specifically, the lack of friction points. And I thought more about this, and I said, you know what? There used to be natural friction points that existed between us and spending our money. You know, you had to go to a physical store location. You had to dig through inventory. You had to use cash. I mean, think about cash as a friction point. You can only spend the cash you have on you. But with each passing decade, we get credit cards, easy pay solutions, online shopping. And now we're at this point where you can get an alert on your watch press one button on your phone, and you can have anything you want delivered a day later with free shipping. The friction points are gone. And the truth is, the easier retailers, marketers, venture capital firms, the easier they make the consuming experience, the more we will consume. This is an intentionally designed system. It was designed with very specific intention. So what I'm saying in this book is, you know, we need to fight an intentionally designed system with intention. And it's up to us today to intentionally add the friction points back between us and spending our money. 
you say there's a psychological need here. The, your first chapter is called, I Want It Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly this generation is not big into delayed gratification. Right. Um, so how can you overcome that uh, almost instinct for instant gratification? Yeah. So, so first off, we just need an awareness that we are wired for instant gratification. And especially when you think about money. So, for example, if I give you a choice, you can take... and you can put it towards retirement, or you can take $500 and you can buy a beautiful pair of shoes or a beautiful watch or uh, the newest gadgets. You know, what do you think, for most people, what do you think is going to win out? It's going to be the thing that's right in front of you. You can see it, you can use it, you can feel it, right? It's a tangible product that you can get some benefit from right now. Where retirement, it's too far away. It almost feels abstract. So again, we're, we're hardwired for instant gratification, and we're constantly presented with these shiny things in front of us on a day-to-day basis. So one thing I talk about in the book and that I applied for, for my life personally um, and that I use for, for my coaching clients in Future You Wealth is that you know, the way that we add the intention back, there's a couple things we can do. So number one, it's shorten the distance to our wealth goals. You know, I'm amazed by, you know, some of these, you know, financial pundits or blogs out there that talk about, you know, you need $5 million to retire someday. It's like $5 million, like, well, what does that, what does that even mean, right? I mean, that's, that seems like a huge number. It seems so far away that if you're 30 years old or 40 years old, it's, it's one of those where it almost seems abstract. But what if I told you that if you're 30 years old, you know, instead of you need $5 million saved, what if I say between your 401k, your employer contribution and money that you're putting on the sidelines, what if I say you need to do $2,000 a month, right? You know, sounds, it's, bad. Yeah. it's not as bad, right? So shorten the distance to our wealth goals. Um, number two is to create some space between stimulus and response. So I have clients where we've created rules now where before checking out online, before making any purchase, that they have to walk away for at least 20 minutes. That's a rule. So they're about to check out. They walk away for 20 minutes. Give some time and space between the impulse and the response. Doing so will allow you to think about the fact that you're letting go of your hard-earned money. And ultimately, if you really don't need the item, ultimately, you're just making somebody else rich. And then the, the last part, and I think this is really the, the most important, is the answer the question, you know, what does my best life look like? What do I actually want out of life? And I, I have clients add two constraints. When they, say, when they answer the question, what do I want? It can't be more money and it can't be a material thing or material stuff. So when they answer the question, it's really just comes down to they want closer personal relationships, better personal connections. They want more independence. They want freedom. They want peace. They want more agency with their lives. And when they can actually put down what they want at the core of who they are, now you can answer, you can ask the question, does this purchase, does it get me closer to my best life or is it taking me away from it? So these are just a couple of tips and strategies that we can use where ultimately what we want to do is, again, add some space, add some distance, add some friction between the impulse to consume and making the purchase. 
marketers must hate you because they're trying to do the <laughs> of what you're proposing to them. The entire economy would collapse if people didn't do impulse purchases. You know, it's hilarious. It's funny. so funny you say that. Uh, I was actually doing a Facebook Live with someone the other day, and uh, he had a fairly big audience. And there were a couple of marketers that chimed in and, and said, okay, so, so, so uh, we're, we're the most hated people in your book, huh? <laughs> yes, indeed. So your second chapter is what you call a need of pleasure. And uh, again, there's, it's almost a biological need to uh, stimulate the positive hormones and that kind of thing. Is, is this something that people can overcome with just intention? Yeah, I mean, so when you think about pleasure, you know, we are hardwired to pursue pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. Um, I mean, th th this is going back from thousands of years of evolution. So marketers know this. And if you think about the supply chain today and how goods actually get to your, your house or your apartment, you know, it is to tap into those needs. Again, pursue pleasure, avoid pain, and to conserve energy. And that marketers and companies, re retailers, they make the process as easy easy as possible, right? So, you know, if you think about, you know, what's, what's a full day of uh, pleasure, avoiding pain, and conserving energy? It's sitting on the couch, eating ice cream, watching TV, scrolling through, through social media, and doing impulsive online shopping. Um, that, I mean, that's pleasure. You're, you're, hitting the, you're getting the dopamine response. That's, you're not in any pain. You're conserving energy, but it's getting us to this place where we just overconsume. We overconsume on stuff. We overconsume on food. And we're a society today that is financially insecure, unhealthy, and depressed. And in large part, it's because of this pursuit of pleasure. So I talk about in this chapter that we need to connect to more pain, to some more discomfort. We need to experience more personal growth. And I think when we do that, we can get out of this cycle of consumption, whether it's um, uh, consuming stuff or whether it's consuming unhealthy foods or unhealthy, um, unhealthy content from social media. So it's a, it's a way to reconnect to, you know, get reconnected to a hobby, whether it's a physical hobby. I have a client that signed up to be a part of a community theater project. Um, it, it made them really nervous, but it was something that got them really excited. And they noticed that when they got out of the rut of just consumption and actually did something that they found exciting but a little scary, it actually caused them to want to consume less. Hmm. So you're saying people should have more pain in their life and less pleasure and they'll be happier. That's right. That's right. And when I say pain, I'm talking about more explore areas of personal growth. You know, continue to grow as a human being at all stages of your zone. life. Right, exactly. You out of your comfort zone. Yes. Instead of just sitting back and being a consumer. Because that's, that's what retailers, that's what they want you to do. They want you to just consume. And you can break out of that by, again, exploring areas of personal growth. And you're saying consumption ultimately does not lead to happiness. You might like the sweater you got or those that's sneakers. Right. But it doesn't really lead to happiness, whereas overcoming obstacles does lead to happiness. Is that what you're saying? That's 100% right. You will get so much abundance in your life by taking a personal growth journey. Again, whether it's a community theater project, whether it's then deciding to train for a marathon, um, whether it's, uh, again, deciding to write a book, you know, just something that scares you a little bit, something that forces you to grow as a human being, and something that gets your mind off of just your day-to-day -day rut, your routine, that ultimately our routines now are rigged to get us to consume. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, I hope this will be painful. So my, my name is Jordan Goodman. I'm the, the Money Answer Show. My guest uh, this uh, particular hour is the, the master of pain, Ryan Sterling. <laughs>
His uh, book is called You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. You can find out more about his book and him at ryansterling.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. His book is called You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. You can find out more about him and his and his book at ryansterling.com. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back. So why is it that you're making other people rich? By that you mean you're spending impulsively and the people who are selling the products are making you're making them rich or you're talking about wealth management people who are you making rich? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm talking about everybody, but uh, you know, more the the book really focuses on at least the first part of the book is really focusing on the fact that if you are spending in an unintentional way, if you find yourself just constantly doing impulsive shopping, if you get to the end of the month and you ask, "Where did all of my money go?" all you're doing is making other people rich. At the expense of making yourself rich. And other people, you mean marketers, people, companies that are selling consumable items. But also, let's talk about the wealth management business. I mean, they're charging fees, Mm -hmm. asset management fees. Are you making wealth managers risk as well, rich as well? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, if you look at, I mean, so the the wealth management industry is going to look very different 10 years from now compared to where it looks today. Um, So, you know, if you look at it, you know, if you're someone, if you have, you know, call it uh, $500,000 to invest and you go to kind of the one of the big institutions that you you see on TV and you see all all of their branches, um, it's not uncommon that you're 
paying 2% or so for them to manage your money. And if you think about what they're doing with it, I mean, they're effectively buying you mutual funds that are probably getting you somewhere close to an allocation of 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And again, charging you, call it 2% all in, maybe even more to do that. Um, And look, those fees, you know, they erode returns over time in a serious way. So you're talking about you're someone with $500,000, you're paying 2%. You know, that means you're paying $10,000 a year for someone to put you more or less in a boilerplate portfolio and maybe you meet with them a couple of times a year. So you think about taking $10,000 a year away out of, out of your money and giving it to somebody else, absolutely you're making, some, you're making other people rich in that regard, no doubt. I mean, the idea, of course, is that you're going to earn more than the 2% by outperforming the averages. So if, you, if you're not going to do that, are you uh, recommending that people put money mostly in index funds? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of index funds. And by the way, I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't hire a financial advisor. I mean, I'm a financial advisor. Um, I just think that you need to pay attention to, to fees. So, you know, I think when you look at the options out there today, um, again, you can go to a traditional financial advisor where, you again, if you have $500,000, you might get charged up to 2%, maybe even a little bit more. Um, well, the other options that are out there, you know, you have the robo-advisors like the Betterments of the wealth fronts of the world. You know, they're going to charge you, call it 30 to 40 basis points or so, so 03 to 0.4% to basically use their algorithm where you put in your information and they'll probably give you a similar portfolio to, to one of the bigger shops. Um, um, but charge you significantly less. So, I mean, you, you know, you're talking about, you know, a a saving each year of, I mean, it could be, you know, $8,000 a year in savings from going to a robo-advisor and having a very similar outcome. So you don't think um, you're going to get a higher return by going with a personal advisor no. than you are going to the robo-advisor just dealing with a computer, basically. I, I don't think there's much of a difference. Um, and, you know, another alternative is if you're comfortable doing it on your own, you know, you can all own um, some index funds. You can own an S&P 500 index fund and do it yourself and pay 10 basis points, 0.1%, and probably have, even, again, a similar outcome. And, you know, so but if you want a human being... I would say, you know, there is this growing trend of the fee-only independent advisor. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm plugging my firm here, but, but I think there, there's a lot of firms like mine that I think do a really good job. You know, I, I've priced my uh, services on the investment management front at 0.8%, so 80 basis points. So I've priced it to be strategically between a robo-advisor and what you would get at one of the traditional shops. And I've done that in a very intentional way because, number one, I think I can easily uh, meet or, or very well exceed what you get at some of those other shops. Well, let's just say it meets meets what you could do at, at, at again, a typical big firm. Um, uh, and and, and let, let's say, again, robo-advisors are roughly the same. Let's say we're all roughly the same. You know, I do think there is some added benefit to having a human being, you know, even if it's just to walk you through and hold your hand through difficult markets. You know, I, I think over my 16-year career, the greatest value that I've added to my clients is holding their hands through 
challenging markets. Yeah. And I can, I mean, I can think about so many people that I stopped from selling in late 2008, early 2009 that have been significantly re- rewarded for, for staying the course during those challenging times that wouldn't have done so if they didn't have someone they worked with to hold yes. their hand through it. Um, that said, I don't think you need to overpay for it. Are you mostly recommending index funds yourself for your clients then? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there are a handful of active managers that I use, um, one of them being the American funds. Um, but I would say the the typical portfolio for my clients is usually a collection of American funds and, um, and passive strategies index funds. So who should be picking individual stocks? You have this whole new generation, what I call the Robinhood generation, that's doing small amounts and very risky stocks, whether it be Tesla or Hertz in bankruptcy or something like that. Who is appropriate to do individual stocks if you think in the long run you're going to get the best returns, uh, risk-adjusted returns uh, with index funds? Yeah. If, if you want to make a lot of money trading individual stocks, start your own firm and do it with other people's money. <laughs> that, that, that's been the path to making money trading individual stocks. Um, you know, If you're an everyday investor and you think you're going to get rich being a day trader, um, I'm I'm old enough to to live through the uh, the the technology bubble bursting, and I can tell you it doesn't end well. It always ends badly. So I mean, I would say that if you are someone where your core competency competency is not investment management, if you're not a finance person, if you're a tech person, attorney, doctor, whatever, um, the last thing you should be doing is trading individual stocks. You know, if you want to do it for fun, if you get some utility out of it. Fine. Maybe you take a little bit of money and you start trading on the side, but have the core of your portfolio be in index funds. Your next chapter in the book is what you call scarcity in times of abundance. What is the psychological kind of scarcity thinking, actually, might say, and, and how does that affect people's financial decisions? Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, we, we live in the absolute best time in human history. No question about it. And I know the news is going to tell us otherwise and that the, the, the country's never been in worse shape, etc. But if you just look at the fact that people are living longer, the technology we have access to, the fact that, you know, more and more people are getting, I mean, people aren't traveling right now, but before the pandemic, you know, every year, more and more people were traveling, seeing the world. I mean, this is the greatest time to be alive. I think absolutely no question about it. Um, but we're led to believe that we live in this state of scarcity. And this is going back back to marketers, and I'm really sorry for all the marketers out there. But, um, you know, look, it's one of those things where fear is a great motivator. And when you see a lot of these marketing pictures and slogans, it's to tug on two, two fear points. It's the fear of missing out. It's the fear of losing out. And it's the fear of having less than somebody else. And, you know, when you just look at you know, again, different marketing slogans and pitches and social media influencers, whatever it may be, you're getting constant reminders on a day-to-day basis of things you don't have. And the only way to get out of this anxiety of fear of of losing or, or having less than somebody else is to consume. It gets us to, again, act from a place of scarcity instead of thinking about the fact that, you know, most of us probably have a lot more than we actually need. But when you do consume it and you don't feel better, you'd think that people would say, well, maybe this isn't working. Maybe I should do something different. Why do they keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? 
Yeah, you know, part of it is is the dopamine release that, you know, dopamine's that feel-good hormone. So it's one of those things where when you get something new, it's shiny, it's fun, it feels good in the moment. And then the next thing you know, it just, at the end of the day, it just becomes old stuff. And now there's a new gadget out or there's a new line of clothes out. There's a new pair of shoes. And what do you do? You want to feel that feeling again. It's like a drug. So you need to then consume to get that new thing. I mean, I go through this process myself, and what I'll do is sometimes I'll go through my closet, and I'll pull out a, an item, and I'll put myself back in the space of when I first got this. Because, gosh, like, remember when I first got this, like, how much I liked having this new thing? Um, well, if instead I consume something that, that I have in my mind, because, you know, I'm creating space, I'm, st- I'm stepping away before I'm shopping, um, now I can say, wait a second, this thing that I'm about to go buy, at the end of the day, it's just going to become old stuff at some point in time. So what am I doing? Why, does it, why don't I just reconnect with what I have and be really appreciative and really grateful and come from a place of gratitude for everything I have in my life, not focusing on I need this new thing because I don't have enough. You talk about the concept of attachment as to why people want new things. Explain the whole concept of attachment and what it does to people's mentality and wanting to buy things. Yeah, well, I mean, I think attachment, I mean, you know, if, if you look at just the, the, our society today, I mean, it is ripe for attachment. I mean, you're talking about, you know, so many of us, we follow a particular path, we follow a particular order. You know, we do well in high school, so we go to a good college. And then if we do well in college and we're a high achiever, we go to a graduate school. And then we go to graduate school, and next thing we know, we need the shiny corporate job. And then you get in a corporate job, and then you need, you know, this title, and then the next title after that, and the title after that. And we get to the point where, where we then we become attached to our identity you know what our career say about us we get attached to um our stuff what our stuff says about who we are and our significance you know i'd say this in a book that it's you know if you're a high achiever in your whole life again you've been checking all the boxes at some point you get to a spot where there aren't that many boxes to check off and if you want to show someone about how much you've achieved, you know, I joke that, you know, if you're someone who is physically fit, you, you can see it, right? So you, you can, you know, see it in the physique. It's, it's hard to hide if you're not physically fit. Um, but if your significance is tied into being a high achiever and if you're attached to how successful people think you are, well, it would be a faux pas to broadcast your net worth on a T-shirt. But we can show it off in other ways. We can show it off with the watches that we wear, the cars that we drive, the private schools that our kids go to, the clubs that we belong to, uh, the places we vacation to. I mean, it's one of those things where we become attached to things as a, as a proxy for our self-worth. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. Uh, he is the author of a new book called You Are Making Other People Rich. Save, invest, and spend with intention. You can find out more about him and his uh, service as well. He's a money manager. His company is called Future You Wealth at ryansterling.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ryan Sterling. He is the author of a new book called You're Making Other People Rich. His uh, firm is called Future You Wealth, and you can find out more at his website, ryansterling.com. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. Good to be here, Jordan. So there's a program, there's a, a kind of a movement, I guess you'd say, called the FIRE movement, Financial Independent Retire Early. Explain what that movement means to you, and is this something people should be uh, pursuing? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely has a cult following these days. So Financial Independence Retire Early is basically about gaining financial independence sooner rather than later. And that's all about really focusing on saving every penny possible today and investing those savings so that in the next three, five, 10 years, you can retire and you can have independence and control over your time. And so much about this is that, look, we, we're, we're constantly trading our time for dollars. And, you know, the, the people in the fire movement have said, you know what, I don't want to work at a corporation and have my future be decided by a corporation my entire life. You know what, I want to give it a good five to 10 years or so. I want to save up enough money. And in my 30s and my 40s, I want financial independence. I want to have more control over my time. There's another movement or kind of a phenomenon called the Henry's. Yep. <laughs> stands for high earner, not rich yet. Uh, is that a good mentality to have to be a Henry? Uh, so it's funny. So Henry is basically the exact opposite as, as a fire person. So Henry is actually a, a lot of my clients that I have in my coaching business uh, fit the profile of Henry's. So, you know, Henry's you can think of as kind of that typical young professional who is making a, a high income but is uh, subject to a phenomenon called lifestyle creep. And lifestyle creep is basically where every time you get a $10,000 raise or a $20,000 raise, your expenses increase by $25,000. <laughs> and it's basically every time you make more money, it becomes an invitation to develop more expensive tastes. You can now go to that uh, more expensive restaurants. You can buy designer clothes. You can have a bigger apartment. And it's a cycle where, again, every time you make more money, you spend more money. Um, so there are so many. I mean, I'm amazed to see how many people in my practice come to me who are six-figure earners 
um, sometimes mid-six-figure earners, but carry credit card debts. So if you think about the fire person who's just hyper-focused on saving and investing at a young age to get independence, the Henry is the exact opposite. The Henry is the person who makes a high income but is uh, over-consuming and basically dependent on a job. One of the things you say is the solution is to define wealth on your own terms as opposed to what the marketing world is telling you. How can you define wealth in your own terms in a healthier way? Yeah, well, I mean, you think about what are the areas of wealth in your life? So I put in the book, you know, there's there's a number of areas of, of wealth that besides money, that that we uh, that we can all define. So for example, having a wealth of time. And, and I, I asked this question in the book, you know, who would you rather be? Would you rather be an 85-year-old billionaire or would you rather be a 22-year-old with an unwritten future? Um, I so I would say most billionaires who are 85 would trade places with a would give everything up and trade places with a 22 year old in a heartbeat. Um, time is so valuable. Time is so much more valuable than money. So you know if you're someone in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I mean I, I don't really care how old you are. Um, make sure you're being very intentional with time and that you see the amount of time that you have left as a wealth of time, um, wealth of knowledge. Right. I mean, accumulate knowledge, learn something, become an expert in something. Um, knowledge, or sorry, abundance, uh, wealth of love. Are you spending time with the people that you care about? Are you investing in your relationships? Are you making sure that you're carving out time for the people who who really matter to you? Um, wealth of adventure. And I put this in the book. You know who. Who has more wealth in the life in their life? The person who basically just sat in an office all day long, or a person that took some risks, saw the world, um, had some adventures. You know, these are all areas of wealth in our lives. Where if we're just singularly focused on money, we tend to lose sight of those other areas. And a lot of people are cash rich but poor in all other areas of their life. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to money? I think the biggest mistake that I see people making is not paying attention to it. Um, so, you know, a, a number, especially going back to the Henry crowd, you know, a number of those Henrys, again, making six-figure incomes but have credit card debt, um, m- money is a topic that's scary. It's a topic that provides anxiety. Um, they know they're doing something wrong, but it's really scary to confront the truth. So I think the biggest mistake people make is they hide from money. And, you know, it's one of those things where I tell people all the time, you know, look, uh, you know, credit card bills, they don't dissolve in drawers. Uh, trust me, I've tried, <laughs> right? And that the only way that you're going to move ahead financially is if you tackle uh, if you tackle the issues and the anxiety that you have with money head on. If you have credit card debt, it's put it on paper, stare at it. See it, see it, and commit to making a change. Commit to making better financial decisions. So I think number one is just ignoring it. And number two, I think it's people being too conservative with money. You know, when people think about the stock market, they often say, oh, my, the stock market's way too risky. Um, I would say if you're someone in your late 20s, uh, you know, all the way to, you know, call it your late 40s or so, um, even into your 50s, I think the riskiest thing you can do is being too conservative. So if you're if you're mid 30s or mid 40s and you have all of your money in cash, um, you're at risk of missing out. 
So 30 yep. years from now, you're going to have significantly less than the person that took a little bit of risk in the stock markets. And again, it's one of those things where the riskiest thing you can do is to be too conservative with your money. So again, I think those are the biggest mistakes, is that ignoring money and being too conservative. Just briefly describe the process you take clients through at Future You Wealth uh, to f- help take them from where they are to where they want to go. Yeah, so so much of it is is really just as I just mentioned, is putting everything out on paper, seeing it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so being able to know where we're starting from, not where we want to be, not where we think we should be, but where we are actually starting from. Um, and then number two is going through a process of you know answering that question that we talked about before. What, what do you want out of life? What does your best, most intentional life look like? And how can we get you there? And how can we use money as a resource? So part of it is, again, seeing where you're starting from, knowing what you want out of life, and then building a plan to get there. Um, So I mentioned before about just the, instead of focusing on $5 million saved for retirement, what do we need to be doing month over month in order to reach our wealth goals? So I'm a big fan of extracting all of the wealth goals that my clients have, and then putting the goals in what I call their various containers, and then thinking about what do we need to be doing each month to fill up those containers. So with about two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize the difference it would make in people's life to follow your advice in your, your making other people rich compared to what they're doing now? Oh, my gosh. I tell you, I, and one of the things I love about what I do is it's not uncommon that after working with a client for you know three months or six months that, that we have a meeting and they're in tears. And they feel like they have so much more control over their life. They feel so much happier. They feel like they're making progress. They feel like they're they're having more confidence when it comes with money, more confidence when it comes to their life. They feel like they're on a path to again, having more agency over their life, having more independence, having more control. So I think it's it's amazing to see how money can be a proxy for really taking control of your life and, again, living life in just a much more intentional way as opposed to just being told what to do, told by retailers and marketers what you think you should be consuming and told by your bosses uh, when to show up for work, what to do, and when you can leave. So it's really about control when you get down to it, control of your spending, control of how you spend your time, and control what you think is important. That, that, that's so That's so much about it. And again, it's interesting. We, we talk about control because, again, so many of my clients come to me and they're just in this cycle of consumption that they can't break. Again, there's an unrest. You know, talk about what problem do I solve in the world? The problem I solve in the world is actually unrest. And that's what people come to me with. They come to me in a state of unrest and anxiety. And a big part of my process is to basically uh, help to ease their anxiety, help to get out of a state of financial unrest and to a place of financial peace. And so much about that is understanding where you're starting from, not being ashamed about it, but building a plan and committing to action to getting out of it. Terrific. We've learned a lot this last hour. My guest has been Ryan Sterling. He is the author of the book, You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. You can find out more about him and his firm, which is called Future You Wealth, at his website, ryansterling.com. Thanks so much for being a very interesting guest on the Money Answer Show, Ryan. Thank you, Jordan. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.